Hey there, it's Mike Tramp, and you're listening to White Line Fever, where rock and roll is still alive like it always has been and it always will be. Welcome to White Line Fever. Uh, we must be up to episode about 105, I'm guessing. And our first guest was on last the last program. Uh, it's Bjorn from Night Flight Orchestra. Welcome back, Bjorn. Thank you so much. Um, I want to talk about diversity. Like, like I'm I'm 49, right? And so I'm kind of, in a way, locked in the era of and just after of Night Flight Orchestra. And and I find, I hope you don't mind me saying, I find soul work a little bit hard going, you know, because it's it's really heavy and the vocals are very aggressive and stuff like that. But but in reverse, um, I find uh, kids who are, when I say kids, people who are 10 years younger than me, um, they don't have the same problem digesting different genres. And um, and yourself, I mean, to someone my age, I find it quite a... Quite a uh, uh, I, I, I'm going to swear in my own program, a bit of a mind fuck that you'd be, be able to be in two bands that are so different. Um, yeah. why, why do you think that is? Like, why do you think that you you are you and people, you, maybe your age or people around you, you're, who are able to change gears so easily and where we can't, you know? Yeah, that's a good question. I don't know what it is. I mean, I, I think it's something that's, that's been there the whole time for me, sort of, you know, burning inside, waiting to come out, because it's been very hard for me, and, and at times pretty frustrating, being able to channel all of my influences into one band, you know. Uh, you can't be Tom Araya and Lou Graham in the same band. It's, it's kind of hard. <laughs> so, so um, I don't know. I don't know what it is, but I, I think, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm very much of a musical chameleon and, and always been, you know, Um and, uh, I mean, I discovered 70s disco at the same time I discovered Norwegian black metal in the beginning of the 90s. So yeah. that says it all right there, I guess. Uh, so it, it's been there the whole time, and, and, and uh, it's been the same with, with David, I think. He's always been all over the place, and we we met for the first time in 2007, you know, on a soul work tour, and that we realized, realized very quickly that we really bonded over the same kind of things you know uh music and, and and the visuals of like late late 70s and early 80s you know and and we wanted to sort of create a band around that and create our own soundtrack so i, I don't know it's it's um it, it is interesting it's very much of a jekyll and hyde situation you know have you been faced with much um um hostility from either camp you know that you're not you know, you're not one of us, stop trying to be one of us, or what are you doing that wussy crap for? You're a metal guy, you know what I mean? Like, do you, yeah. do you encounter a lot of that? No, none. Mm. I'm, I'm surprised. <laughs> I Did... mean, I'm sure it will come, but I, I, so far, so good. I mean, I, but then again, I don't really care. You know, yeah, I, yeah. Something that I wanted to do, and, and you know, it might be provocative, provocative to some people. Uh, I don't know, but it, to me, to me, it's all natural. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do do you see a direct sort of lineage to what you're? I guess what you're trying to like achieve, or or the the um, when I say, do you see there's a direct jump in style from late eighties um, to now to this album, or do you believe do you do you believe you you're there's still a bunch of contemporary influences and a bunch of influences from bands that have happened since? You know what I mean? Are you trying to recreate something as if it's as if it was released in 1989, or or are you actually trying to make it sort of a product of some sort of evolution? You know, 
Um, I mean, it's 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 definitely a homage to an era, you know, especially like late seventies and early eighties. You know, that's sort of what we've hijacked and made into our own. And uh, and I think, you know, I, we we managed to do something pretty unique with yeah. it. You know, I, I've had a lot of people coming up to me saying, you know, thank you so much for creating this band. Uh, I didn't even know I, I I missed this kind of music, but I guess I did because I love it. You know, yeah, and yeah. and of course you can throw so many references around. I mean, it's it's. I guess we're sort of wearing our inspirations or influences on 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 our sleeves in a way. Mm. But at the same time, it sounds very refreshing, probably mm. because there's a lot of knowledge, a lot of love and passion behind it. There's yeah, like yeah. a lot of thought, you know, and and uh, otherwise it would have been way too too easy to see through. I think metalheads are, you know, I think we have become metalheads like sort of guilty pleasure, but. Yeah. <laughs> Sort of, you know, picky in the end, and they would have been able to see through it if it was not done for the right reasons, you know, and if it, if they haven't felt the presence in, in the music. So. Yeah, 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 yeah. Rather than the music giving you credibility, you've given the music credibility. You know what I mean? In a, in a strange sort of way. Like, um, what, what was going to say? Um, if a fifteen-year-old come up and said, "I actually don't know any of this music. I might have heard it on Glee." Um, and 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 I I'm frustrated. You don't put out records often enough. What what should I listen to in between records? What what would you say to to a 15 year old? What what sort of music would you recommend to a 15 year old who likes Night Flight Orchestra? Wow, I mean, I mean, we've had so so many influences, you know, that we had to channel before sort of find, finding something like a sort of like a mutual vision. But I mean, uh I mean, do you want me to mention like some 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 albums or artists or? Yeah, yeah, like like literally, I'm a 15 year old. Hey, this music, uh, I never heard it before. You know, I, I the first music I heard was Nirvana. Uh, I like this stuff. It's got a lot of melody. Um, it's cool, but uh, I I want to listen to more bands. I don't. I, you don't put out enough records. What should I listen to? You know? Yeah, I mean, pick up the first Foreigner album. Oh yeah. And you need to pick up an ABBA, ABBA album as well, of course. <laughs> I would say, and then I don't know. First Boston album, yeah. uh, "Turning of a Friendly Card" by Alan Parsons Project. Wow. Uh, Genesis, Genesis, um, and uh, what else? There's so much. Um, See, to me, Abba and Foreigner are like so far apart, but but they're actually yeah. they're actually in the same wheelhouse that you're in. You know what I mean? It's really interesting. Um, why don't we have a song? Maybe, maybe a, I don't know. Like I'm not going to tell you, but maybe a, a song off one of those records rather than a, a Nightfight Orchestra song for the kiddies out there. <laughs> yeah. Uh, let's see. Uh, you want to play some ABBA? <laughs> yeah. Why not? What? Which song? You name it. Okay, so there's a hidden gem. You know, it's, it's a super like underrated song. Uh, if it wasn't for the nights, it might have been a, a hit in Australia uh, <laughs> in, in the late seventies. But you know, it, it's sort of you know, a hidden gem around here. So if it wasn't for the night by ABBA.
This is Bjorn from the Night Flight Orchestra, and you're listening to White Line Fever. Welcome back to White Line Fever, third part of our interview with Ian Moss. I want to thank him for being with us. We are in this spacious uh, dressing room here in Manchester, and he's a one-man band, so we're sort of stuck in a corner in a, in a big, empty, echoey room. Um, thanks for joining us again, Ian. I wondered if I could get a little bit deeper meaningful in the third part of the interview. Um, I know that you went to Malcolm Young's funeral, and I know that you've... No, you know, I didn't. Oh, you didn't? Okay. Oh, right, okay. Okay. I can. Ah, oh, it was in. It was in a story I read in the Herald. Let's start yeah. again. Let's start again. Okay. So I just I wondered if um we could get a bit more deep and meaningful. I wondered how much, um you know Malcolm Young died, um you know very recently, and I wondered how much you kind of think about legacy and about um mortality and mortality and, and mortality. <laughs> <laughs> That's the second one. Yeah, legacy and mortality. Do you because obviously when something like that happens, it affects a whole bunch of strangers. But then it also affects, you know, the, the family and, and, and the people who, who knew him. Yeah. And, and I guess there is a... You, you probably have some concept of how cold chisel are perceived and how you're perceived. And then you... And, and I just wondered, have you, have you, have you thought about um, what cold chisel's legacy is going to be? Do, you know, do, do you think about when you get on stage tonight how the people um, in the uh, crowd perceive you and, and how... Um, how maybe the Australian industry, um, you know, radio will play Cold Chisel, then they won't play them for a few years when something else is, you know, when it's not cool, and then they'll play them again. Are you, do you consider these things? Do you have, have you rationalised them? You know, what are your thoughts on it all? Um, I, yeah, no, I definitely consider these things. Uh, you know, uh, uh, not getting any younger. Um, and I've, yeah, I'm probably a typical bloke, you know, the, 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 the number of pills you've got to take to deal with this and that is sort of starting to, starting to get on the rise. Um, so, yeah, you think about mortality. Um, uh, you know, I've, I've you know, faced, faced the thing myself, which could, could easily have um, been fatal and just, you know, just lucked out one more time with a certain medication that came on the market, which they'd been hunting down for about 40 years. But I'll, I'll keep that quiet as to what it is, but uh, well, what it's all about. Um, so, yeah, it makes you think about all that and uh, I mean you know, also you know I've just uh, my uh, beautiful niece uh, married her Italian uh, boyfriend in the south of Italy just eight months ago and just over eight months ago into eight months to the day he died of lung cancer oh, God. so uh, and you know unfortunately I have to, I'd have to suggest that uh, you know, Malcolm might have been a smoker and my biggest message is forget it just don't smoke it's, it's, yeah you can uh, yeah that's but that's that's that. Um, no, that's that's what we can think of. Just does it matter? Like, does it, is it important how many people know who you are or what you do for work or whether they like? If you're an artist, they like your art. Does it give you? Does it give you comfort? Does it does it have an impact on the way you view um, mortality? Uh, I, oh, jeez, I don't know. It's a hard question. Um, yeah, I don't know. Maybe every every actor performer is 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 a is a, is, a, is, a, is a kid just wanting to be loved. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, with, and we've all got egos with holes in them. Uh, you, you know, they get filled up from performance, and then you know, wake up the next morning. It's all it's all sort of almost all all gone. Mm-hmm. So you do it again that night. I mean, it's just well, it's just just a fantastic feeling uh, mm. to perform and if you have a good night it's such a rewarding thing it's something mm. you, you just never you can just you just don't, don't ever want to give up mm-hmm. um, 
and you know that's why I think you know, you know, people keep you know BB King did it till he nearly dropped and, mm. uh, you know and, and many others that just just don't want to give it up and that's the same for me are the decisions different if you're able to now that you've got this perspective would you have made different decisions like the whole thing with the band I mean I guess if you join a successful band even no matter how talented you are there's a degree of luck that you met the other guys and stuff like that so do you think you take that for granted when when you don't when you feel bulletproof you know that you maybe you, you know you, you, you maybe if you had your chance again maybe some of the decisions might have been been different oh yeah I often think about um to me, it all started just just a real chance thing of uh, meeting Don Walker. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, uh, we were the first, you could say we were the most original guys, members of Cold Chisel. Mm-hmm. And that just happened, that was Adelaide. It was a Saturday afternoon, I was going to school in Adelaide. Um, some guys said, hey, we, you know, that I've never, I didn't know, but we just met by uh, you know, somebody, you know, bass player, drummer, and some all dragged our gear into a hall in Norwood in Adelaide and um, started jamming to to try and you know, the beginning he just started jamming with people to try and suss out just just for the fun really and there was this room down the back of the hall and you could hear someone playing piano in there mm-hmm. and this guy stopped playing with the band started playing and I think he'd finished anyway came out of the room and it was Don Walker he just happened to there happened to just happened to be a piano in this hall mm-hmm. that he heard about and he'd come down and practice mm-hmm. and he just had to be there practicing and we got, um, he sat down the back and we were watching us and um, and um, everyone ignored him but I felt compelled to go down and say hello and, and, yeah, well, and <laughs> the rest is history as they say yeah 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 um, um, there's two more things and really a pale by comparison with the stuff we've just talked about but the one thing I wanted to ask you was Australia's biggest cultural export is pub rock, I think. Like, I don't think people appreciate it. Um, the biggest cultural export Australia's had, like, I don't know if it beats the Boomerang, it beats Paul Hogan, is, is pub rock, and obviously ACDC with the main carries that. To Australians... But the establishment in Australia doesn't seem to want to acknowledge that. I mean, like, there seems to be a, a reluctance to acknowledge that that is... That's where the country... You know, do you, have you always felt supported by, by the... the, the the mainstream of Australian culture, or have you felt that there's been some snobbishness there that they didn't want to acknowledge that that what you were doing was important? You know, Whew, the big questions <laughs> today. Uh, yeah. Well, I've been waiting my whole life to ask them. So. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm just trying to uh, snobbishness. Um, uh, I'm just. There's yeah. part of Australian society that doesn't acknowledge ACDC or Cold Chisel or the Angels or Roast I do. You know, is, I, I think it's self-evident that, you know, the people who kind of, you know, the ABC, you know, there's, there's it's definitely whereas in America, they, you know, in America, they're proud of Aerosmith and they're proud of, you know, all that sort of stuff. They don't have that kind of, you know, that attitude that, um, oh, you know, there's more important things than rock music, you know what I mean? You don't, you know. I, 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 I don't know. Uh, I, I mean, I don't know. Uh, hmm. um, I, 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 I'm sure ACDC have, have, have gained a lot of respect in all, mm. on all levels of society, even if even if just purely from a business sense. They've got to mm-hmm. be got to be uh, people who, who, who can see them. Mm. Uh, the monstrous concerts they've done and the ticket prices and the funds they must <laughs> they must go shit. You know that. Um, those guys have done well. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, Maybe it just wasn't. It took a while for everyone to appreciate it. But uh, the other thing I want to I ask. Think so. yeah, 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 there's yeah. possibly a fair bit of. Uh, I mean, uh, you know, when we first were starting, there was still that real cultural thing of uh, kind of oh. Are you from Australia? Oh, I could probably only be ever be so good. Are mm-hmm. you from overseas? Or oh, you're probably already well ahead of us. Yeah, yeah, before, yeah, yeah, yeah. Before I've even fucking heard you. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, so it's that that sort of thing of oh, from you know. So it it was interesting to be part of that that wave, if you will, uh, of the mid seventies, possibly. You're probably starting with Sherbet. Sherbet, or one of you. You got got to hand it to them there, though. Sort of very sweet young girl sort of pop band, but but Garth Porter wrote some great songs, mm-hmm. and there were a lot of people who sort of at first sort of you know, into their heavy rock, and then suddenly realised, well, hang on, uh, I can't do a blues twelve bar riff all my life. It's all about writing songs. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and then there's Skyhooks came along and sort of really got realised that got stuck in the songwriting, and then you Don Walkers and Paul Houston from Dragon and uh, the Angels. Realised it was all about the song first, mm-hmm. and we just had luckily cons- uh, coincided with the whole Australian music scene of of pubs and clubs um, putting on putting on rock bands, um, and in those days there was nothing else to do, and um, you didn't have all these distractions, mm-hmm. uh, so it was just a, a golden year, age for bands. Mm. Um, in that there wasn't computers, uh, and iPhones, and, and internet, and, and stuff. So people really had their their best entertainment was apart from going to see a movie was to go and see a band. Mm. So you could have, in Sydney you could have on a Tuesday night in the one suburb, the Angels, Midnight Oil, Cold Chisel, mm. uh, um, the Radiators, mm-hmm. all playing in a different pub in the one suburb on a Tuesday night, and all having a massive queue. Going around the block four wide, trying to get in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so. and, and, and genres didn't matter growing up. Growing up in Australia, you didn't know if something was new romantic or hard rock or heavy metal. It was just did it hold the drunk crowd's attention? If it did, it was good. And that was was things have changed so much since. The last thing I want to ask you was about the last two records and the changing the last two chisel records and the changing nature of albums. And is it is it still a worthwhile exercise for a big band like yours? to do an album um, I imagine commercially the jury's out but maybe creatively it is I don't know what, what, are, you, what are your thoughts <laughs> <laughs> yeah you're right commercially it's a, probably uh, jury's out um, <laughs> who knows you know some people say some some people will, will say I've, I've said you know the albums weren't as good as the old uh, the older albums some say they were um uh, but you still like doing. You still like doing. Yeah, I think it's important to sort of to, to create, keep the creative juices flowing, and put new material out there. But yeah, you probably uh, in this day and age of Spotify's and and that uh, and streaming kind of services and and downloads and mm. um, the money's certainly uh, not not what it's about so Chisel will keep doing records keep doing albums yeah yeah we will yeah yeah yeah, yeah. but your, 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 your big revenue is, is live performance that's the that's the one thing that can't really kind of duplicated or downloaded or, <laughs> or streamed you know? yeah, yeah 
Look, we can keep talking forever, um, but, we, but I, you've got to have some dinner before your show. Thanks so much for uh, um, being with us. It was kind of one of those nights where it's like, what would you ask that guy if you got the chance one day? And I kind of had a few saved up. So I appreciate you being honest with your answers, Ian, and uh, I guess we'll just have one more song. All right, then. Uh, let's go to the album, and let's try a bit of... Bit of uh, this is a bit of... A little bit different to the rest of the album, uh, but this is kind of a, a very Stonesy kind of song. So a, a girl like you, and it, it, it name checks the Mansell Room. I love, I'm a Springfield's guy. What are your memories of the Mansell Room? <laughs> <Ooh>. <laughs> too many and too. Uh, no. <laughs> okay, oh, thank you. <laughs> Thanks, mate. Thanks, Steve. Thank you very much. Thank you.
Nick Barker, and you're on White Line Fever. Well, welcome back to the program, uh, and this is our Rugby League segment, uh, and I want to introduce you to our guests, and then I'll tell you what the subject is. Our guests are uh, the journalist John Davidson. Hello, John. Hello. The journalist and publisher, Jack of all trades, Phil Kaplan. Hello. Good evening. And the impresario behind Super League Pod, Mark Illingworth. How are you, Mark? Hello, I'm fine. Steve, how about yourself? Good, good. Now, um, when I set this uh, discussion up, uh, I um, I invited five people, and then I was subsequently told that you can only fit four. So uh, Paul Bennett, who has very strong views on the subject we're about to discuss, has, has basically the, the music stopped, and uh, we've run out of chairs. So uh, at some point, uh, we will invite Paul uh, in to the discussion. Uh, I don't know if he can even hear us, if he knows what's going on. But the discussion point is... Uh, is should Golden Point be introduced in Super League? Uh, there were big changes happened last week, uh, and Super League, uh, the new organisation under Robert Elston, holds sway now. Robert Elston is a big fan of the NRL, uh, and he loves um, um, Golden Point. And I heard uh, Carl Fitzpatrick from Warrington say in a podcast last week, we're looking to change the on-field product. So is this the right change for Super League? And I guess what we do is we go left to right, starting left to right as I see it. I've got no idea how it looks to the viewers. <laughs> um, uh, um, and we'll start with John. What are your thoughts? Oh, well, I think it's good that, that Paul's not on because he said on Twitter today that anyone who believes Golden Point should be way, way forward should get a slap in the head. So I said to him, slap <laughs> me in the head first. Um, I think Paul's obviously channeling his um, alter ego, Wayne Bennett, in his hatred of Golden Point, but I, I think it's um, a no-brainer. Um, there's nothing wrong with the draw per se, but you look at some of the Golden Point matches that the NRL's had and over years, and I don't think anyone who's a regular NRL actually isn't converted about the, the entertainment and the drama of Golden Point. And as Phil uh, said on his excellent podcast on Monday, and I agree with completely. I think the product is in need of a revamp. It's in need of something to uh, improve it. And I think this would, would um, go a long way to, to that. Well, part of the way anyway. I think it's one thing that, that can help. Okay. We are going to trade you out for a second for the, for the agent provocateur you just uh, <laughs> name-checked, Paul, Paul Bennett. And, and, and we're going to hear, uh, while we do that, we're going to hear what, um, what, what Mark thinks. Mark, a man of the people. What, what do you... You, you actually are not just voting on behalf of yourself here. You're voting on behalf of the, the populace on the terraces. You think they would enjoy Golden Point? I'd, I'll try and be sensible then. I think there's a, there's a problem, isn't it, that our, the Rugby League core audience, it seems to be entrenched in this idea that we want the sport to actually operate as if it was association football, and, it, and it's not. Um, it's, it's who are we trying to sell the game to? I don't think the the hardcore M62 audience are really into Golden Point in any way, shape, or form. Um, it, but then the new audiences that we might be trying to sell our game to in the, in the North Americas and, and stuff like that would definitely buy into it. I mean, you, you listen to them talk in the NFL about it being like a kissing your sister or something is the saying they, they bring out. No one really wants to, to – to, you don't really get anything from it. Um, so I, I, I don't know. I, I'm not, maybe not the right person. I'm kind of on the fence. I, I don't – I like getting rewarded for a draw. I find draws exciting to watch in any way. Uh, but – 
at the same time, how, how good is Golden Point when it works? And also, does it sharpen our players a little bit more for the high-intensity moments at the end of games when you've got to deliver at that final stage? Yeah, uh, great point. Uh, and, and you're right, I guess it, it isn't... Um what people are used to, and I get it. And I think the, the bigger issue, um, by the way, uh, hello, Paul, how are you? Hello, I'm good, thank you. We're going to leave you to last because we know you're, you're the most strident person on this, uh, on, on the, on this subject. But uh, um, I think it, before I go to you, Phil, um, I think it actually speaks to the kind of the, um, the, the philosophy of the new regime in a way um, that they do want to spruce things up. And I know Rod Studd often says, oh, do we want to be a sport or do we want to be a freak show? And uh, I'm sure he'll have some things to say about this. But it really, it, it's not just this one issue, is it? It's, it's, actually, it's actually the direction that, that the Super League under Robert Elston want to go in. Yeah, it's, it's the tip of an iceberg where I think they're looking at particularly speed of the game more than anything else. I think they felt that we've got to a situation somehow where matches are now taking two hours. And that's putting people off. So what do we do to lessen that? That's something they're certainly looking at with shot clocks and, and such like. But also, how do you add a, an extra bit of excitement? And if I'm being perfectly honest, um, I don't have a problem with with it. You know, it, we have it in the Challenge Cup. And isn't that just the anomaly of, of rugby league, that it's OK in some competitions but not others? And the argument against it is that people try too many drop goals. Well, in any game that's coming up to be a potential draw, they're trying them from... 10, 15 minutes out. So, yeah, let's have a resolution of a game. There's nothing wrong with that. Let's have a win. That's what sport is all about. Over to my learned colleague, Mr. Paul Bennett, who will give you the old-fashioned view of that. And and yet he's he's probably the youngest one here and he's going to give you give us the, the old-fashioned view. Here he is, Paul. You've been on social media about this all day. For those who have been living under a rock, what are your views? I, I just don't get what's wrong with a draw. What is wrong with a draw? Can anyone answer me that? I just don't get it. Speak I'm up a little. You're a bit quiet. You're a bit quiet, Paul. I'm sorry. <laughs> Can you better? We actually just want to yeah, see yeah. your nasal hairs, and that's the reason <laughs> I said that. It's <laughs> 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 a good question because sport is about winners and is losers. Any better? Yes, 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 yeah. Yeah. So no, so so. This, finish this is your going point, well, Paul. isn't it? Yeah, that sounds much better. That sounds much better, mate. Yeah. Oh, so, marvelous, so, marvelous. So so yeah, start again. Start again. Yeah, I guess I don't really get what the problem is with with draws. Like, what's the what's the problem? What's what's the issue? Why is that? Is why are they such a bad thing? I mean, the the, the analogies that, that's put out there about kissing your sister. I mean, these guys must have attractive sisters. I, I mean, I. I like draws. I enjoy draws. I wouldn't compare that to kissing my sister. You know, That's, <laughs> it, it doesn't work for me. The draw, draws are good. I've never watched a game of rugby league that's ended in a draw and thought, oh, that's a shame that that was a draw. Mm-hmm. Like, what's the point? Your oh, draw's yeah. fine. I'll make this, make this other point as well before, sorry to interrupt you. No, no, no. no like, you, you. what? Obviously, Golden Point exists currently in the NRL. Well, what happens after 10 minutes of Golden Point extra time well, if no draw. one scored? Hmm. You get a draw. So why is, it, why is it fine after 90 minutes for mm-hmm. 90? It's a bad draw. Like, you're willing to accept well, that a draw is fine. But just, just, I don't get it. I honestly don't get it. It's, it's, you know, I, I accept the point, actually, about the American audience. And that's, that's the only thing that would make me think about it. Um, but I don't, I, I don't have a problem with them. You know, Unless uh, someone can, can persuade me otherwise. 
Now I'm going to trade, uh, after Phil speaks, I'm going to trade him back out. It's like shuffling a deck of cards. Um, <laughs> who is what card? I'll leave that to other people to decide. But um, I'm going to trade, after um, um, Phil speaks, I'll, I'll put Mark back in. But um, I actually, I swear I got this in the paper once. I swear I did. Um, if a draw is like kissing your sister, it was a weekend of incest in the NRL. I swear I got that in the paper once. Um, that was a long time ago. Um, now, uh, we've got a, got a cold, very long time ago. You can't get away with that sort of stuff anymore. Um, here is, um, here's Sean Lawless, uh, um, who, um, who has, has a, a comment. He says, a game can be a good draw rather than sometimes a sport by a penalty, um, which is, you know, I suppose it can put more pressure on the referee, but then again, so can do they give a penalty in Golden Point? And, and we saw, uh, um, you know, uh, um, Carol Powell say that uh, he wants Golden Try, which has its own issues, doesn't it? it? has its own issues. But anyway, I'll go back to you, Phil, because I know you're bursting to speak. I was just saying that um, Paul's picked up an interesting point, that at the end of Golden Point, if there isn't a resolution, you can still have a draw. So why not have the best of both worlds? Why not have 10 minutes of teams constantly going for victory, which is what sport is all about, let's be honest. And the default position is you could still have a draw if you wanted to. I don't think you get many draws after 10 minutes, but the whole essence of sport, is winners and losers, leaving a ground knowing whether your team has won or lost. And yet draws are very exciting and very rare. We must say it's not something that we're talking about that's the most important thing the sport's got to look at at the moment because we don't get that many of them. But, um, yeah, leave the game with a winner and a loser. That's sport. We're in the entertainment business, aren't we? So uh, maybe sometimes we have too much regard for records and stuff like that. I mean, some tries used to be worth three points and field goals used to be worth or drop goals used to be worth X. And, we, we, you know, we've changed so many things, six tackles, four tackles, unlimited, interchange. They all change the fabric of the, of the sport. Um, and we're in, the, we're in the entertainment business. So, you know, um, if, 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 if we can agree that – do we agree that Golden Point is entertaining – uh, and are we just basically maybe having too much regard for the kind of, um, you know, the tropes of the sport and the, and, and, and the history, the history of the sport when we, when we say, let's not do this? You know what I mean? I, I'm not convinced it is entertaining. Isn't it just a drop goal a for, for 10 minutes? Just somebody trying to get a drop goal to win the game? Go, uh, you, you uh, disagree with this? Uh, disagree with this? Uh, oh, I think... I think um... Most Go on, John, so I can slap you. <laughs> you have to slap me through the uh, through the camera. Um, no, I think I think most of the Golden Point games that I can remember recently have been, you know, they've been fantastic. I remember the, I think it was Canberra Manly last season that had two occasions, and you know there was the sort of sledging going on with Dylan Walker and Josh Hodgson, and a penalty to win the game. Um, obviously, there was the Jonathan Thurston drop goal in the grand final in uh, extra time. I, I just think it, it really does add drama and excitement. And people sort of say, oh, it'll just be a drop goal a thon. But that's not actually the case in every goal point. Yes, it does happen. But, you, you know, you've seen plenty of golden tries. And um, I, I just can't see why not do it. I mean, I can understand for a team who's battled hard for 80 minutes or. 100, 100 minutes and not come away with anything. But as as you said, Steve, we're in the entertainment industry and I think Super League is losing fans or at least it's not bringing in new fans. So something needs to be done to, to spice up the contest. 
Now, Don't um, we just get we... the uh, 10 minutes of trying to get drop goals anyway? It's just, it comes at the expense at the moment, I suppose, of having 10 minutes of trying to score a try before the 10 minutes of trying to score a drop goal. I think our problem is that the game's taking so long. If we take some time out of our normal 80 minutes of game, we might have time for another 5-10 minutes at the end. But at the moment, we don't have time for that because everyone wants to get home before half past 10 at night. So the Super League hasn't got that that side right. If we got that side right, then maybe we would find that 10 minutes of drop goal kicking or, or whatever it might be fun to watch because we've seen another extra 10 minutes of game time where people have tried to score a try. So I suppose that is kind of a a way I'd look at it. I'd rather see people trying to score tries than trying to score drop goals, but are we not just seeing that anyway? Yeah, no, I think, and, that, and to move this on, so we're not just talking about the same thing for the next 18 minutes we have to run, um, we also need to, I guess, explain why golden try is a bad idea. And I think I'm right in saying that it basically means teams will just concede penalties deliberately because they know that a penalty goal is not going to decide the match. So, um, I know I said that we, it's okay to fiddle with the fabric of the sport over the course of a century or a decade, but to fiddle with the rules over the course of one match, you know, from my point of view, is a bridge too far. And as I said, it, it encourages uh, cynical play. Um, now, do we have anyone in favour of Golden Try who's here? And you know what? The next question I ask, I'm actually going to trade myself out because not fair that I'm here for the whole program and you all get put on the sidelines. But just let, let's talk about um, Golden Try for a second and, and whether anyone thinks that's a good idea. I, I don't. <laughs> Silence. <laughs> I think we've, we've already no, seen I, teams I, I, I don't away loads of penalties, haven't we? Yeah. Sorry, yeah, sorry. Um, I, I, now, there were two of you speaking there, so we'll start, start with Paul, okay? I'm, I'm sorry. I, I, um, yeah, basically the point that you you made, Steve, absolutely nails that. I th- think that's the, it can be um, exploited by by certain teams. The rules can be exploited to to you know as long as you're not conceding a try, you can concede a penalty to stop it. If, if you're looking for some sort of golden point, let's say you change my mind and I'm on board with you, and we need golden point. Then I, I guess you look at the NFL and the way that they changed their their golden point as well, because because when they went to overtime, games used to be settled by field goals, and they thought that was pretty dull as well. Which you know I and I agree. Um, now, if if you score a touchdown in extra time, you you win straight away. If you kick a field goal, then the other team gets a chance to to respond. Perhaps there's something you could do there. If someone, if someone kicks a drop goal, maybe you get a set of six in which you can, you know, respond. I don't know. It sounds like a crap idea, to be honest. But, but I'm trying to, I'm trying to help you out in terms of could. how you could, you could make Golden Point fair and interesting, and and that it's not just what I fear about degenerating into into drop goals and to to win a game, which I accept doesn't always happen, but it happens quite a lot. Okay. Um... Now, you know, and I, I remember um, also that when Golden Point first came in in the NRL, Wayne Bennett was one of the biggest uh, opponents of it. And I was at that game in Melbourne where Scott Minto scored in Golden Point and Wayne Bennett couldn't help himself. He was jumping up and down on the, uh, on the bench. And, um, you know, That's Scott Minto, very similar body types, Scott Minto and, and Wayne Bennett. I'm sorry, sorry, John. I said he's such an excitable character, Wayne. I don't believe he ever jumped up and down. <laughs> here's um here's here's where I'm going to put myself on the bench, and I know Phil can lead this um 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 topic uh, without me uh, very capably. 
And that is the deeper issue of what changes we expect in philosophy under Robert Elston and Super League, the fact that they're willing to play with the on-field uh, product, which a lot of people don't like, um, the, the fact that um, who knows what they might do um, to try and spruce things up. Um, and obviously, um, it's not going to please everybody, is it? Uh, you know, I, I would argue that from the public utterances of Robert Elston up to this point, he's quite an NRL fan and that we could expect to see a lot more. Like the shot clock has been mentioned. And, uh, hello, Gary Carter, if you're watching. Great story about this. So the reason we're discussing this, yeah. the shot clock has been discussed. So the question is, do we have concerns, um, 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 you know, about the direction that Super League might take in its bid to get people's attention back. Um, there also is the question of, you know, the, the North will rise again. You know, in America, it's South will rise again. They seem to have this kind of credo that the North will rise again instead of being ashamed of the fact that we're an M62 sport, we're going to wear it as a badge of honour. So if this is the tip of the iceberg as far as um, a, a culture change in the British game led by Super League and Robert Elston, then... What other things can we expect to see? And are, are they good or bad? And, and now um, I'm going to disappear from the right of my screen and I'm going to be replaced by Phil. Uh, but I, can, I still have the controls and I can basically um, uh, remove any of you uh, with no right of appeal at any time. So uh, it's like the gong show now, okay? So I'm going to go down. Phil's going to come up, okay? Judge Muscord. Scary. Where's Phil? Phil's this gone. Phil's been talking about Steve now, and, and he'll not. Oh, Phil's he, he <laughs> now, this is benevolent despotism at its absolute worst. <laughs> <laughs> I, 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 I believe I'm, you were going to lead, lead this. I don't know about lead. All I was going to say was um, there's, a, there's an element of tinkering with the deck chairs on the Titanic when we're talking about Golden Point, because surely the issue is that next year with the loop fixture structure that they've decided to bring in, we are going to have the same teams playing in the same format with the same players. Is it even the kind of cosmetic things that we should be looking at at the moment? Or does, in fact, the root and branch need to start a lot further down? Well, can I, can I jump in on that then, Phil? Because one thing I've noticed is the fans don't, the fans really aren't into this structure. They like it more than what we've moved away from, but the fans aren't really into it. So uh, have the Super League clubs, the new Super League board, um, the new the new organisation, even really listen to the fans. Total RL ran a poll, didn't they? That showed most fans were in favour of 14 teams in Super League and no loop fixtures. Um, on the Super League pod this week, we had a load of people getting in touch with their views about the, the, the structure changes. And overwhelmingly, people were saying should have been 14 teams or the championship's got it right with 14 teams and that sort of stuff. They haven't listened to us there. So are they going to listen to us with the next thing? But the one thing that the fans do talk a lot about is games being a bit quicker, the, the stoppages being a bit less. So I'm really glad that that's on the table. And I think that's more important to get to than golden point or not. Is it a case, um, again, that, we haven't got the plan in advance of voting the party in. So the main criticism from the championship one, uh, the championship and league one clubs was that they hadn't been consulted. Can Super League lead the debate in this? Doesn't it have to be a, an RFL or, or game wide solution? I would say that the one, the one thing we need to look at more than anything else, if they're talking about changes, is, 
is the number of interchanges that that needs to come down because that seems to have worked in in the NRL that that fatigue for ta- uh, factor gets bought in. Is that more important than a cosmetic bringing the golden point or not? I I like that idea. I think I, I would reduce the interchanges and um, and I like the shot clock. I think they're both good ideas. Uh, I think the the emphasis got to be on speeding up the game um, because it, I mean it can be a marathon sometimes, can't it? But watching mm. games of a league these days because of the video ref. I mean, personally, I I would get rid of the video referee, but I think the genie's out of the bottle. I don't think that will happen, so there's no point wasting time on it. Um, but yeah, I, yeah, I think I think that that's got to be the emphasis. Um, you were talking about 14 teams earlier. I, I totally agree with that, and I, I think there is a sense with some owners maybe that they know that as well. But the the problem yeah. is. There isn't the money within the game currently to do it, and I mean, I mean, Ian Lennigan keeps going on about, oh, we need four strong championship teams so that we've got the competition. I think realistically, it's we don't have the money to to hand around to fourteen teams, and you know, hopefully, we could get to that point um, through you know all the deals that Robert Elston can hopefully do for us over the next few years. We'll have to see, but I think that would that would that would be a big change for me because it, for me, it's about variety. I think the we're playing each other too often. Too too many games are repeated throughout the throughout the the season for me, and they'll lose that magic. I don't know if anyone else feels that way. Yes, I agree completely with what Phil uh, with what Paul said. Sorry, um, almost uh, to a T for a change. Um, there's definitely there's definitely two more game too many games. I think after the Challenge Cup, I know personally, I just sort of said, "Oh, we've got how many games left in the season?" It just seems to drag on too much. Um, I think the reducing the interchange has been a big success in the NRL, as has the um, the shot clock uh, and golden point. I don't think Super League should just blatantly copy everything the NRL does, but there are some successful things that have worked. And anyone who's watched the semi-finals at the last group looks, and you look at that product compared to Super League, and it's like you're watching a different sport at times, um, not only in the speed, but in the skills, uh, in the play of the ball, the ruck is just so much more cleaner. So whether two referees... Is the way to go for Super League, not the other two divisions? I don't know. I don't know if there's enough good referees, but it's definitely worth. I think, All money debate. for them. Yeah, well, there isn't. <laughs> there isn't enough money either. Uh, I guess you you sort of where do you look to recruit and bring referees from, or you actually some money. You know, half a million, you know, hundreds of thousand dollars who don't do their job. So. Yeah, we're getting a bit of uh, feedback there from you, John. Not feedback from the audience, actual feedback. Um, but, uh, I think I think what I the point I wanted to make is I can see from Robert Elston, his point of view is we need more. Did you see that moment? You know what I mean? We need more. You know, people people talk. You know, and the stuff when no matter how bad things get in the NRL, you, the last few weeks you still um, you know find yourself going. Did you see that during the game? Did you Has see? he substituted himself? Uh, yeah, I, I've actually uh, I actually did put myself back in at, at Paul's expense because I thought he he basically needed a bit of a break uh, before full time. He uh, he was out of puff. Um, yeah, so uh, yeah, he's not an he's not an eighty minute player. He came on came on for a stint and uh, did a good job. Uh, but um, um, yeah, no. So he's, so but I just think I guess we can keep this going amongst ourselves, even though the host has disappeared to make himself a cup of coffee. No, no. Um, yeah, is, I... is the issue with the um, with the screen that referees are now frightened to make decisions, and that's the culture we've got to change? It's not that the screen's there, 
because you can't disinvent it. It's that we're going to it far too often. I mean, we had the try in Toronto this week that, you know, whether we liked it or not, was allowed and it shouldn't have been because there wasn't a video screen. The game went on. There were still 78 minutes. It, it, it doesn't determine the outcome, but do we need to now empower referees to make more decisions and it wasn't, it wasn't, get off their case if they get it wrong? It wasn't, wasn't that the plan of the system that they brought in? Was to, to do that and, and it, it's done the opposite, if anything. Cool. It wasn't just the try disallowed, but it was also the bite and then the shoulder charge off the play. I mean, with that bite, you could obviously see, in, you know, video ref would have been in the referee's ear and saying, look, you've got to give him a card, whether it be yellow or red. And Bussy stayed on the field, which arguably, you know, uh, cost to lose the game, probably more than the try, in my opinion. So yeah. I think having a, video, a TV game without a video referee is, is madness. No, it's more empowering the referees to make their more decisions. If you've still got the video referee, the bike could have still been relayed. But I, I, we're at games at the moment or watching games on the television where you're going, why have you referred this and why are you looking yeah. at it sometimes from eight different angles? Yeah, I, I, I yeah. agree. That process needs to be improved and the whole sort of saying whether it is or it isn't a try, you know, maybe even a shot clock for the video referee so we don't see... 15 replays when they've only got two end camera angles as opposed to four camera angles. So you don't know the difference. But, um, yeah, I think uh, the referees need to be empowered. But as Paul said, the genies out of the bottle. You look at every sport, you know, even in football, the World Cup just recently, they're all using video technology. So rugby league's going to go back to, like, the 30s and just sort of put its head in the sand. I don't think you can, you can ignore video referees as much as some people want to. Phil, you said okay, something. Um, can you hear me? Sorry. I was just about to say something amazing, but that's okay. Don't <laughs> no, worry no, no, say it, say it, say it. What are you going to say? No, no, I was just, Phil said um, about, um, you know, laying off referees and letting them make decisions. Um, that, and, but that's, it's really wishful thinking, isn't it? Because we can't, let alone getting fans to lay off referees, which I don't think is ever going to happen. We can't even get the coaches to stop laying off the referees. So how how is that going to happen? And therefore, you know, I would like a game without a video referee. But if 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 you take away the the technology from the referees, then then all that does is leave them vulnerable to the sort of stick and abuse that they get from fans, well, from way, from coaches, from players. So, well, one way we could make it happen is with Mr. Elston, who has ins at Sky, having worked there before, says. I'm not going to tell you how to run your commentary team, but we don't need a referee in there because the only reason that he's there is to be contentious. So I, I would advocate that, yeah, bring it, if you can bring it in the golden point, can that be alongside getting rid of Stuart Cummins in the commentary box? I think I'll I think, de defend well, slightly Stuart Cummins if I can. I don't know if, I, if that's allowed on this forum to defend Stuart Cummins. Bad. I was just going to say <laughs> another discussion point about the coverage of Sky's game and how it really basically needs a revamp top to bottom. Um, but yeah, that's that's all I was going to say. Yeah, hello. I was, I was just going to... Hello? Yeah. That's fine, it's fine. No, John just, Sorry, John's Steve. a bit shaky with the audio there, that's all. Keep going. Uh, okay. Um, uh, yeah, I was, I was just going to say about Stuart Cummings being on Sky, is that that's fine if you get rid of that as long as the rest of the commentary team aren't then going on about the referees and decisions. Uh, you know the the positive about Stuart Cummings on Sky is they can give you the video the the referees um, side of it, 
um, which I think can can be lacking otherwise. Um, so if so if there's going to be like a, a a direction on Sky where they say, you know, we'll just not talk about the referees and the decisions, then that's fine. I'm I'm up for that. Um, okay. As long, yeah. Yeah, I was just going to say. So to finish up, because um, we you know we could go off on tangents about referees <laughs> and television coverage and video referees and and Toronto and all that sort of stuff. And I guess uh, we, we started here. Um, you know, talking about Golden Point, okay? And, and Golden Point has come up as a result of the decision last Friday. So if I, if I, if I, if I could just go round the panel about what you like out of last Friday and what concerns you, um, you know, you know what, what worries you about last Friday, and then I, I, think, I think we're done. Um, so I'll, I'll start on my left. I don't know where he is for you if you're watching. Um, I'll start with Paul. Uh, Paul, uh, your thoughts on, on that, that uh, sort of broad brush comment? Um, from Friday, um, the, the, the overall overriding positive is that the, a decision has been taken and it was, it was pretty, um, you know, it was pretty definitive. Um, and we can sort of move on from all that, those many months spent about that. Um, Hopefully now we can concentrate on things that really matter. And and we've talked about some of the more trivial things today, you know, because it's, it's fun to do that as well. And mm-hmm. they are important um, to an extent. Um, but hopefully we can we can focus on some of the really, really crucial issues, which is to, you know, uh, get the marketing of the game right, get the, uh, get the you know, the commercial activity of the game right. And, and hopefully... You can do that when you've got a united front and you've got a, pr- a product that sort of believes in itself and isn't at war with itself. And hopefully that's the positive from, from last week that we can move forward from that. Well, Paul, thanks for joining us. You were uh, last on and first off. So you get an early bath for you, but uh, thanks, thanks, for, thanks for joining us on the program. <laughs> thanks for having me. Um, sorry about the nasal hair. No, no. <laughs> okay, and uh, on to uh, you, John, your overarching thoughts about the events last week? Yeah, I think it um, basically it's a bit of a, a panacea, really. I think the middle eights had to go because, <clears throat> excuse me, um, the Super League clubs, particularly in the um, the top the top eights, were losing money. Um, you know, I think Castleford and Wakefield were, were sort of reporting at 100 grand losses uh, over the last few years. They're just sort of meaningless fixtures, a lot of them. And with the middle eights, while there are some definitely some exciting games, and we've seen this this. this Year and with the million pound game previously, um, there's not four world uh, championship teams well equipped enough or resource enough to actually challenge. Um, you know, effectively, some most of them are part time, so it's not really a fair fight, so to speak. So I think while the structure change is positive, it's um, you know it's it's only one tiny thing in you know a whole list of things that need to be done from marketing to media relations to expansion to the product, which we've talked about. Um, there's so many participation. There's so many issues that need tackling. And I think if anyone thinks that this is going to be the sort of be-all and end-all solution is kidding themselves. Well, again, John, thanks for, uh, thanks for joining us. And, um, yeah, I guess, I guess most people now, even if they thought the Super League propo- they're opposed to the Super League proposals, they're kind of relieved that at least there's a decision now and that um, there's a bit of money and, um, and ambition behind it. And um, we don't know if we're going to agree with what's done. But I guess, uh, generally speaking, we're we're willing willing to give it a try, um, and that seems to be the over overwhelming feeling. Um, what about what about you, Mark? Um, you um, you follow a Super League team. You don't you don't follow a lower division team. Perhaps if you did, 
your thoughts might be a little different. I'm not sure they would be. One thing that none of us have mentioned, and we've all been on podcasts and stuff over the last week and written stuff over the last week, and one thing I've not seen any of us mention is that the Championship Advisory Group also proposed a structure that was not the Super 8s. So everyone wanted rid of the Super 8s. They, they might have wanted a situation where two can go up to the Super League or something different like that, but that's what we've done is given ourselves a simple structure that we can adapt and move in smaller ways without it being a huge change like the last two structure changes were from licensing to a totally different kind of promotion and relegation back to what is more comfortable. Now we can focus on those other things. And I'm in on Elston on the fact that I believe that this delivers that opportunity for him to focus on these other things, these other issues. So I'm in on that. So I'm overwhelmingly positive, even if it wasn't quite the perfect, well, there's no perfect solution, even though there would have been, arguably a better solution out there um, for a lot of fans' points of view. I, I think it's we're, we're moving in the right direction. We've moved away from something no one really wanted anymore. Thanks for joining us tonight, Mark. appreciate your time. No um, just send your invoice. You've got my address. Um, okay, now um, I guess we'll, uh, we'll finish up with not Roz Kaplan. Um, <laughs> uh, one day... <laughs> what are you... Good, good or bad, Phil. I've heard you talk about this, um, so um, a little bit, but I um, mean, I heard you talk about it before. Um, what about you know, in the sort of half a week later? What, what are your thoughts? I think the good thing um, is that Rob Elston now gets to do his job, and I think we're all agreed that the qualifications that he's bringing is exactly what the sport needs. You know, he's had a a grounding in uh, sport finance. He's had a grounding in television. He's had a a long spell at a, a football club that isn't one of the top clubs. So he, he knows how to adapt uh, with the limited resources. So I think everything he's got on his CV, and perhaps even most importantly, is he understands the, the politics of the sport, having been involved in the governance of it before, is a resounding positive. I, I, I'm happy at this stage to give whatever backing Rob Elston needs to take the sport to the next level. And he now seems to have the platform to do it. My worry is we've fractured the family. Uh, whatever the family means, um, and it is a bit of a meaningless saying. Um, although the Championship and League One advisory group have certainly come out and said that they abide by uh, whatever the decision is, there are some people there that have been seriously hurt by these negotiations that, uh, you know, people have been saying, I'll, I'll vote one way and have voted another. Others have been coerced into voting a certain way and felt compromised on the back of it. And I, I do think that there is, there is a fracture there. It's going to be hard in some respects to, to mend. Um, my worry as well is that we've heard a lot about why Rob Elston needed to have the power to do this, but not how he's going to do it. And normally when it's a manifesto, you, you, you see the list of proposals in advance. You don't sort of have a meeting on the Monday going, right, now we'll rub our hands together because we've got a, a blank sheet of paper. The issues for me have always been participation. Um, I think, you know, I don't know who is in charge of raising more people playing the sport and how they're going to do it. I'm not sure Super League themselves are going to employ development officers, but that's something that as a sport we need to look at. I don't think we've mentioned, I think absolutely right for Mark to bring up the point of saying perhaps Super League at some stage should be 14 teams or maybe 16 teams. How are we going to get to that? You know, what is our um, policy and strategy on things like new teams coming into the competition? Are they going to be strategic? And if so, how are you going to decide that? You know, I, I, I think like all of us here, I think London is a very important part of any strategy that Rob Elston needs to bring in. He wants more profile, more coverage for the sport. I think you can only do that 
uh, if London is an integral part of what you're doing, how are we going to get London in there? We've seen the Catalan Dragons win the cup. I think that again opens up a space sooner rather than later for a second French team. If you want a broadcast deal, you know, he said he wants more money to come into the sport. Well, again, if you want a broadcast deal in the, the North Americas, you can't have the Wolfpack as the lone club that's going to bring that in. But what's the strategy for all that? We've sort of lost that in the good news is we're going to have the golden point next season. I want more detail um, of what Rob is proposing and behind all of that detail is how we're going to get more finance. Well, um, I want to thank everyone for joining us. Our uh, Canadian viewer, Genghis Campbell here, has the opportunity to pick the brains of the, some of the, um, you know, the best minds in rugby league and me as well. And instead, he just chooses to say we look like the Manson family. Very, very disappointing there. But uh, I want to thank, um, I, I want to, I want to thank you guys for, for being involved. It's, uh, it's, it's, it's been awesome. And uh, um, I want to thank those who've listened and those who've watched. And uh, some at some point next week, I'll be talking to somebody about something. But uh, don't forget to uh, subscribe to White Line Fever on, on iTunes and uh, to like uh, uh, Facebook forward slash League Hub Com with uh, no punctuation. And also don't forget to go to Mascot Browns. Don't know why I waited this long to mention Mascot Browns. But anyway. I'll um, give them a link, Steve. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You get a commission <laughs> if you hit your, your link. Um, so anyway, guys... Um, Thank you. Thanks, everybody. Uh, goodbye Dude. from uh, the Manson family. Um, <laughs> uh, see you later. I'd rather be the Adams family than the Adam. Uh, <laughs> at least I didn't commit any crimes that I know of. The Adams family. <laughs>
Hey, this is Jizzy Pearl here, hanging with Steve, and you're listening to White Line Fever. Welcome back to the show, and our next guest is going to be visiting Australia very, very soon. It's uh, Rachel Boland from Skid Row. How are you, Rachel? I'm doing well, man. I cannot wait to get there. It's yeah. been too long. It has been a while. It has been a while. I was just reading that your singer, ZP, his family now lives in Australia. Is, is that correct? Yeah, yeah, he's got some family over there, I think, outside of Melbourne. And uh, so it's kind of a homecoming, in a sense, for him. Right, right. So he set aside a little bit of time to, to go and visit them? Uh, uh, I would imagine so. Um, maybe he'll stay a little later. I'm not sure. But uh, he's uh, he's looking as forward to it as we are, man. Yeah, yeah. It's always been quite a strong market for you, hasn't it? Why, why do you think that is? You're right. It has been. And I don't know why. If I could... <laughs> figure it out i'd bottle it and sell it at the merch stand <laughs> uh, rock and roll is is always been really healthy in australia and new zealand you know it, it it um doesn't seem to have its ups and downs like it does in some places in the world mm. yeah i just saw rose tattoo here in london and uh yeah you couldn't fit any more people in you know what i mean there's uh, it's the kind of there's something there there's something uh, in the water it's kind of um there's no bullshit you know what i mean in uh, with a lot of those bands um I, um, United World Rebellion, I, I, I read that you're sort of ready to go in and do, um, uh, you know, do a full-length album, or, you, or where are you up to on that? Have you done pre-production uh, now with, with Michael Wagner? Uh, we've started pre-production. We're also still writing. Um, we have a lot of shows on the books for this year, so we're kind of doing it in between stuff where that's not the way we usually do it, mm. and it's very odd for us, and... For me, it's very nerve-wracking because you get a song halfway done and you have to leave the next day to go play a few gigs. Um, like I said, not what we're used to, but it's what we're adapting to. And yeah, we've, we've been, uh, we worked um, a few days with Michael, uh, I would say a week and a half ago, and then a couple months before that, we worked for about a week with him, just uh, honing the songs in and trying different arrangements, but uh Snake is actually at my place in Tennessee, and we're, we took a break from writing to do interviews today. <laughs> so, <laughs> well, I appreciate it. Thank you. Touch it to one spot. <laughs> Thank you very much for taking that break. Um, I, um, you know, the whole United World Rebellion kind of um, um, concept, I just wondered, you know, you've got a new singer, and I guess some people might have thought that you might just start again. You might wipe the slate clean, and, uh, and you wouldn't stick to that concept what what is it about it that that you feel so committed to? You know what 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 is it that you feel wedded to there? You know, it was an idea that that was in our heads, and whether there's been changes or not, we wanted to see it through, and it actually kind of the the, the fact that we are seeing it through kind of illustrates the point of believing in yourself, and once you know your goals is to try and obtain them and not let anything steer you out of that direction, you know? Mm. So it, it wasn't done on purpose, obviously, but it's kind of the way it's going to be. And, you know, it's been, it's been some years since we put out the last one. I, I don't remember the date exactly, but we're just so excited to get ZP on a record and get it out there and have people hear him with brand new songs. You know, we know he could do great and people know he could sing the hell out of our uh, back catalog, but when he's going to be on his own songs, it's, it's going to be pretty magic, man. 
I read that you've been writing uh, with Corey Taylor and members of Hailstorm. Um, how close are those songs to making the final cut? What, what is the status of, of those songs and, and what is the sort of subject matter, generally speaking, you know, on this record? Well, you know, subject matter-wise, it's kind of more of the same. Just um, don't let people dictate what what's right for you if you know and uh, it's kind of the the this old rock and roll story since the beginning of rock and roll you know we're, we're the shunned we're the ones pushed to the side and it's always been like that whether mm. from a business standpoint or a social standpoint um so that's where we're coming from but as far as um Joe and Lizzie and, and Corey and stuff, we don't know. We don't know where it's going to end up because we're still in that process and uh, the writing process. I can tell you right now, they're great songs. Um, and we're, we're psyched about them, but we never make a decision until we're absolutely back against the wall, yeah. ready, deadline waiting, looming overhead. That's when we make the decisions. That's why we keep writing. We have probably about 10 songs, but you know, that, that would take up a whole album. We want a pile of them. Uh, and uh, we're just going to keep writing, keep writing until all five of us sit there and go, yep, we got them, and, and then take it from there. Let's have a song. What can we listen to? Uh, let's play something off of uh, off of the second uh, installment. How about We Are The Damned? Awesome. That's been in your live show recently, hasn't it? Sure has, yeah. <laughs>
Rachel Bone from Skid Row, and you are listening to White Line Fever. Okay, welcome back uh, to the program, and our next guest uh, been kind of chasing around for a couple of years, I would say, um, about having him on uh, White Line Fever, and uh, finally, um, what a strange place to do it in a Costa Coffee in Islington, in London. And on his very first visit to London at the age of 29 uh, is is Bob Spencer. Bob, uh, welcome to London. <laughs> Thank you, Steve. It, it, is, it really is great to be here. Yeah, fabulous town from what I've seen so far. Why is it taking you so long to come here? You've been a working musician now for, well, you're not 29. Um, so you've been a working musician for so long, and, and this is a, a mecca for, for rock and roll. But um, just fate, I guess, has prevented you coming here? Uh, unfortunate series of events. Um, we really wanted the Angels to get back here in the 80s, 90s. And uh, I don't think management was terribly uh, supportive of that, so we didn't make it here. Um, and then I had my years in the wilderness, uh, known as uh, Midlife Crises 1 and 2. Um, and there was no reason to come here, but I'm very glad that I, I am finally here. And I, I do regret that the Angels didn't make it here earlier. And it's, it's also sad that the Tats didn't make it here consistently over the last 20 years. But it's, it's fabulous. Love it. We're going to talk... Um, in, we're going to do this in thirds and play a song at the end of each third. Um, and um, the first third, I do want to talk about this Tats tour because um, I, I was going to ask you, and you've sort of answered the question already... Um, as a, I was thinking, like, how impressed would Bob be to be here and to be doing this, you know, with, with Roasted and see the support and how popular they are in, in Europe? Or does he kind of just take it in his stride because that's what he does for a living, you know? And I just wonder whether you, you do go around pinching yourself every day when you, when you see the legacy that um, Roasted have in this part of the world and, and, and now you're part of it, you know? Um, okay, good question. Uh, that has a number of facets. Um, not quite pinching myself. Mm-hmm. I do consider myself fortunate mm-hmm. to be able to do this at my age. I'm 61, and here I am. I've joined a rock and roll band at 61. Um, so I consider myself very fortunate. Um, I Let's see. I'm In a sense, I'm glad that I wasn't here when I was younger. I think that I could have made a serious mess of my life had I ventured to England or America in the 80s. Um, so I'm kind of happy that it's now. And I'm, I'm happy that I'm in reasonable health. Can you paint a little bit of a picture about the sort of response that the Tats have been getting? This is your second visit this year yeah. to, uh, to, yeah. to Europe. Yep. The response is is awesome. And I, I'm, I don't use that word very often. Uh, it is overwhelming how passionate the the fans are here the followers are here how much they know about the band their emotional investment is very deep uh, runs very deep and they're they're happy well the fans that we have coming to the gigs uh, are happy that the this lineup is continuing to honor the songs and and the feel of the band they're very passionate over here and uh, Germany and where else have we been Netherlands France whatever they're very passionate very emotional very emotional 
I've actually got a, a theory which I'll tell anyone who'll listen and I'll bore you with it now that um, the actual explosion in the 90s of tattoos now everyone has a, a sleeve and everything like that is by osmosis down to angry because all the LA bands actually they lo- they loved angry and if you saw just before the Motley, Motley Crue Guns and Roses era um, Poison and Warrant and those guys they didn't have tattoos they hardly had tattoos it's the guys who were and then subsequently that you know, infected our popular culture and suddenly all over the world from Lima to Anchorage there was a tattoo parlour on every corner and it really is you know down to angry I, I just wondered whether you have had cause to reassess the, your thoughts on the influence of Australian music and Australian rock and roll on the wider genre by being in Rose Tattoo, you know? Yeah. Uh, the short answer is yes. <laughs> um, um, okay, so a couple of things in parallel. One is that, as you are aware, I've known Angry since I was maybe 15 or 16, and uh, we've, we've had a We've had a friendship um, which was based on me knocking him back, really, because he asked me to, to join a band that became Rose Tattoo when I was 16, and I said no. So I've been watching the Tats since then, and I've had my occasional involvement, you know, uh, jamming with them, and, and Angry has been a close friend for a very, very long while. And I've seen from afar the effects that the band has had, particularly on the Guns N' Roses Uh, but it wasn't until I joined the band that I started thinking about that more deeply and I I, I agree with you uh, it seems to be that there is a common beginning or a little dot at the centre of this which is is angry Mm -hmm. so angry, influencing and the Tats vibe there's that attitude which the LA bands attempted to copy and with varying degrees of success. Uh, as Angry has said before, there's something about us, the way Australian guitar players play guitar that um, other nationalities don't seem to do. The Dutch might argue that um, Golden Earring invented uh, biker rock, but I'd argue that Rose Tattoo invented biker rock. You'll notice I'm holding the microphone like you're I'm much louder than you, so I'm holding the mic away from me and, and, oh, and okay. close to you. But um, the other thing I was going to ask you is, can you, and this is like a, I guess a question any journalist will ask you. Can you see this lineup recording? Yes, I would love this lineup to record. Um, we've already been speaking about the kind of shape that the songs might take for the next album of original music. Um, Angry and I have had a few discussions now about how those things might feel, and to to me, I see them. I see songs the way they look as well as the way they feel, so excuse me if I talk in that sort of language. Um, um, So we've had a few conversations about that so far, and when I get home, I'll start to collate uh, material that I think is suitable for the band. I I write all the time, as you know, Um, and and for me it's a matter of, of... picking out the things that I, I think will suit the band and then presenting that to the band and I'm looking forward to the recording um, yeah and I, I, I would hope we do that next year this year is already gone, we're booked up until December we have off over Christmas and then we 
we get back into it and then we go to America. We do some... Monster Rock Cruise. I've been on it. It's yeah. awesome. Is it? Yeah, it's okay. awesome. Yeah. All right. <laughs> but some of those bands you referred to earlier that with varying degrees of success, yeah. they'll all be on it for all the whole... Uh, right. Yeah. <laughs> well, that, yeah, that will be interesting. <laughs> now, um, two more questions. One, and, and one Rose to do, we'll play a song and we'll move on to another subject. Okay. But... Um, and this is a kind of whimsical question. Do you ever feel ghosts on stage playing Rose to Do and playing? You know, there's been some great players and not all yeah. of them are with us anymore. Do, do, you, do you feel yeah. any ghosts when, you, when you're on stage? Yeah. I, I, ghosts is not the way I'd put it, but, mm. but I, I, I know what you're getting at. And, yes, I do feel that. I, and I feel it's my job to honour them. Mm. That's absolutely how I feel about the way I play the songs. And this is... This was central to my first conversation with Angry about a year ago or more when he called and asked me if I wanted to do this. And I said yes, and my intention was to honour the songs and honour the players. So I do feel, as hippie as it sounds, I, I kind of do feel their presence. I want to... Honour is the, is the word. To play the songs honourably and respectfully. That does not mean copying them note for note or copying every phrase that Mick did or copying every phrase that Robin did. That's not what I mean by honouring the songs. I think that my job is is to go beyond merely mimicking what they did. And Angry is absolutely supportive of that. Uh, Angry has joined, asked me to join the, the band because of the way I play, mm-hmm. not because of the way I copied somebody else. If this really blows up when you go to America, is there... A- is there, are you guys at a position where you could relocate to the Northern Hemisphere, or has that ever been discussed? Um, I keep hinting that we should relocate to Germany. <laughs> uh, uh, well, actually, it's not really a hinting. I've been overt that we should relocate <laughs> to Germany. Um, and I think... On, on the negative side is the fact that we're all older, mm-hmm. angry turned 71 recently I turned 61 last week I think happy birthday now you tell me thanks dude (laughs) Um, so relocating at this age I don't know maybe maybe we could do it Um, it seems to me there has been a an effect from Europe on Australia. It's, it looks to me that Australian audiences are more enthusiastic about the band, and I think there are two reasons for that. One is that the reports from Europe have been just smashingly good, and the other is this is a freaking good lineup. I mean, this this combination of five people is formidable, and I, I think word is getting around about that. Okay, let's have a song, Bob. Uh, any song you like could be a Rose Tattoo song you're enjoying playing at the moment. It could be one off your own album if you want to play three of those, or it could be anything. Yeah, what would you, what would you, or something's got a story behind it. Um, give us, give us something. Um, oh, I, there are so many classic, and I mean this. There are so many classic uh, Rose Tattoo songs. Um, I'd, I'll go for Rock and Roll Outlaw.
got white line fever. Going to run land down under. Going to turn around the corner way down yonder. <laughs> but I'm not even going to try to rhyme anymore. <laughs> Michael Monroe here for White Line Fever. And you get a chance, come and check us out live. We're going to rock your socks off and whatever. Rock like fuck. That's what I say. Okay, <laughs> come on down and rock on.